Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Wassalatu Wassalamu Ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa Ala Alihi Wa Sahbihi Wa Baraka Wa Sallama Tasliman Kathiran Ila Yawmiddin Amma Ba'd Qala Allah Ta'ala Fi Al-Qur'an Al-Majid Wa Al-Furqan Al-Hamid Wa Ma Muhammadun Illa Rasul Qad Khalat Min Qablihi Al-Rusul Afa Immata Aw Qutilan Qalabatum Ala A'qabikum Wa Man Yanqalib Ala Aqibayhi Falan Yadur Allah Shay'a Wa Sayajazillahu Al-Shakirin وقال الله تعالى إنك ميت وإنهم ميتون صدق الله العظيم. so our uh, wonderful uh, listeners today, what we're going to speak about today is literally just going over the last days, weeks maybe of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and the main events that took place. we're going through the main events that took place and that led to the final demise of the Prophet ﷺ and his departure from this world. And of course that was a very, very emotional time. What we look at is what exactly, how did he go, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, had him experience and then what was the reaction of the companions and his family and then how they dealt uh, with the Prophet's final departure after an intense number of years or decades with him, literally hanging on to his every word, making sure that not even nothing of him fell onto the floor. They would pick it up, they would save everything, including his hair and everything like that. Such a close connection, just wanting to be with him all the time. And then after that, he finally departs this world and subhanallah then you can just imagine what kind of a feeling that was created so we our <clears throat> the reason we listen today is that this is more of a kind of an emotional journey that we listen we visualize we imagine and then after that we reflect and see how that affects us and just gives us a better understanding of the prophet sallallahu and also what he went through, how we can learn from whatever he went through, him being a prophet, most beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and how all of that uh, is supposed to affect us. So inshallah, I leave it to you, and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this a beneficial reflection, a beneficial reflection, and for us to become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially when we have so many events uh, going on in the world today, and people are being massacred and killed. So how do we learn from this particular event, monumentous event actually, monumental event actually, and um, benefit ourselves. So death is a source of immense sorrow and grief. Lots of people, that um, they get a lot of sorrow and grief as soon as you have, as soon as you have death of any loved one. And the Prophet ﷺ was most beloved. However, what we have to reflect on when it comes to the Prophet ﷺ is that the Prophet ﷺ is supposed to be وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ We only sent you as a mercy for all the worlds. So everything about him must be a mercy as well. Which goes to show then, which indicates to the fact that even his death is a source of mercy in some, in some way or the other, despite the fact that it is uh, obviously a place of sorrow uh, an occasion of sorrow and huge grief and a loss and everything like that. So this mercy even presents itself here at the demise of the Prophet ﷺ. So, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ 
ورأيت الناس يدخلون في دين الله أفواجا فسبح بحمد ربك واستغفر إنه كان توابا That was revealed That obviously revealed uh, in not, not very direct language but Umar uh, understood it well at least he understood it later Abdullah ibn Abbas gives the tafsir of this and Abu Bakr understood this that this was now going to be the final time of the Prophet the Prophet on that occasion sat on a pulpit on the mimbar and he said a slave has been granted a choice between this world and the next and he has chosen the hereafter Jibreel alayhi salam had told him the hereafter is better for you than this world and Aisha radiallahu anha says that after that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to be reading with those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showered his blessings upon of the prophets, the absolutely truthful ones, the martyrs and the righteous ones. They're the best of company. That you could see that the Prophet is choosing that by reading that verse. He was given the choice to either remain in the world for longer, as long as he wanted, and see the victories of his ummah, see the victories of his ummah, of his nation. Or he could go to the hereafter. The angel of death came, according to a hadith of Bayhaqi, the angel of death came and said, I have to follow your orders. If you want to live, you can carry on living. Otherwise, I can take you. Jibreel salam was there, so the Prophet looked at Jibreel salam, and he said, Jibreel salam just said to him, Allah longs to meet you. Allah longs to meet you, meaning he intends to raise you to the high station. He intends to raise you to the high station. Abu Musa radiallahu anhu reports, that when Allah, uh, when Allah wants to be merciful to an ummah, to a nation, then what He does is He takes his, their Prophet before them. He takes, them. he takes the Prophet before them. So that, what's the purpose of that? Well, it's a sense of loss, but He takes them, the Prophet before them so the Prophet can go in advance and prepare for them. He can be an advance welcomer and a preparer for their coming to the hereafter. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to punish a people, He has the Prophet remain alive and He punishes them and uproots them and destroys them, has the punishment coming to them while their Prophet is watching, as happened with Nuh alayhi salam and multiple other Prophets. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu reports something else. He says, you will, the Prophet said, you will not witness any calamity more than my death, severer than my death. Because that's talking about the direct recipient of mercy, the most beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala departing this world. There's going to be a massive change in the Prophet being in the world and the Prophet departed this world. How fortunate are the ones who were able to be here at that time. That's why he said, my, my death is going to be your biggest calamity. No other calamity could match it. And that will help us, inshallah, bear our other calamities. Subhanallah. Then... On one occasion, he said, whenever 
there is a calamity. Whoever has a calamity, they should recall my death. That should ease their burden. And what a wonderful nasiha this is for us to be reminded of this right now when so many people are dying. So many of our brothers and sisters are dying. One of the reasons why the Prophet ﷺ, why didn't he remain for much longer? Why didn't he remain forever? Well, that's not the way of this world. Even Isa ﷺ has departed, will have to come back to the world to die finally. That's the na- nature of the world. But one of the wisdoms mentioned is that if the Prophet ﷺ had stayed long enough as opposed to other prophets, then maybe people would have taken him as God. They would have taken him as a object of worship, a deity, because he's lived more than anybody else. There could be multiple. There could be multiple reasons. But this is what Allah had in store. This is what Allah wanted, and this is exactly what happened. Inna kamayyitun wa inna mayyitun. Chapter thirty-nine, verse thirty. You are going to die, and they are going to die. It death is something that overcomes all of us. So now let us start talking about the Hajj. Uh, we'll we'll start the journey. We'll start the journey or towards death from the Hajj time. So this is the Hajj in the tenth year, in in the last year of the Prophet's life. That's in Dhul Hijjah, the month of Dhul Hijjah, and then after Dhul Hijjah you have Muharram, Safar, Rabi'ul Awwal. Rabi'ul Awwal is when the Prophet passed away. Right, the eleventh of Rabi'ul Awwal, twelfth of Rabi'ul Awwal is when the Prophet passed away. So we have. Just two months, you have over two months, you have just over two months. So after the Prophet ﷺ returned to Medina Munawwara from his farewell hajj, he, the first thing he, he did was that he had the, prepared the army and he put, at the, as the commander of this army, he put uh, Usama ibn Zayd, 17, 18 years old, the son of Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu anhu, who, was, uh, who he had taken uh, and, uh, and almost like adopted. Right, almost like adopted and freed him as a, as a slave earlier on adopted. This was his son. So he made him the commander of the army against the Byzantines. And this was a very, very important, impo- important role that he put him to. And there were the munafiqeen. There were some of the hypocrites and others who complained that why are you putting somebody, somebody so young when there's so many older, more experienced uh, commanders available. So the Prophet ﷺ gave a khutbah about this to show why and, and to, to show his emphasis on keeping Usama radiallahu anhu as the commander of this army. Now, the sickness began after this. The sickness began around uh, just after this period with a headache, and then it began to intensify. So he started with a headache and it began to intensify. This was towards the end of Safar now. So all of Muharram has passed and Safar is coming to the end. Rabiul Awwal is going to come in. So we have, you know, 15, 20 days left uh, before the, the Prophet Sallallahu date, uh, date of departure. Um, some people uh, have, have commented on this, that this headache and this sickness was maybe due to the poison that had been administered to him by some of the Yahud in Khaybar during the expedition of Khaybar. And the effects of it has still ling- had still lingered and this was causing an effect on him. That was probably about six months or so prior, approximately some months prior to that. Surah Al-Nasr, this is when Surah Al-Nasr was revealed as well. And the last Ramadan, in that last Ramadan, um, I'm, I'm backtracking a bit. In the last Ramadan, the Prophet ﷺ had done something different. He had done i'tikaf, he had sat in i'tikaf in the spiritual retreat for 20 days instead of the usual 10 days. So there were a number of things that had changed that he did differently during this time. He then, obviously, during the Hajj, he gave the famous khutbah. 
right? The farewell khutbah, the farewell hajj and the farewell khutbah. And that indicated his departure. I may not see you again. That indicated his departure as well. Then when it came to Safar, the 11th Hijri, Safar, that Muharram Safar, he started preparation. Right? So what he did first, he went to Mount Uhud. Mount Uhud where, is where his, his uncle, Hamza radiallahu anhu and the other martyrs of Uhud are buried. So he went to visit them. And there he, 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 he went to visit them, he prayed and he prayed for them and so on. Then he came back and he gave a khutbah. In this khutbah, he said, I am going before you to bear witness for you. I see my watering place, my haud, you know, where he's going to give everybody to drink from. And may Allah grant us a drink from his hands on, the, on that day. He says, I can see it. I've seen my hawth and I have been given the keys of the treasures of this world. And then he gave some nasi. He says, I do not fear that you will become mushrik, that you will start ascribing other partners to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's not my biggest fear with you. But my fear with you is that you will start to compete with one another. You will start to compete with one another. And that is what's going to cause an issue. That was what he was worried about. Thereafter that, he went to the Baqir, that is the, the local graveyard in Medina Munawwara. And he made dua for everybody. And there he, he said the famous dua, uh, Inna bikum lahikun, inna bikum lahikun, we're soon going to join you, we're soon going to be joining you. And this is what we say when we go to a graveyard as well. Assalamu alaikum ya ahla dara qawmin mu'mineen, wa inna bikum lahikun, nas'alullaha lana wa lakum al-afiyah. Thereafter that, he gave another khutbah to the believers. He gave another khutbah to the believers. Now we come to the end of Safar, the 29th of Safar, of the month of Safar. He comes, he's coming back, for, he has attended a janazah, a funeral prayer for somebody, and he came back from the janazah. And that's when his fever started. That's his terminal illness now, right? His fever started. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu says, that the Prophet ﷺ was so hot because in fever your body heats up, the temperature just, just rises. He says, my hand could not stand it. That's how the Prophet ﷺ, uh, that's how hot the Prophet ﷺ would become. Now you have to remember that it's known that Anbiya, Prophets, are given much greater difficulty and pain than, local, than normal people. Because the purpose of pain, uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives people pain and he has a uh, he has good intent in doing that, meaning his, his purpose of that is to raise their status. He gives them sabr and steadfastness and patience. He gives them the ability to bear it, subhanAllah. And the higher the pain, the higher the patience, the higher the patience, the higher the reward, and the higher there is an escalation, there is an elevation of your status. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted him to be a, a lesson for everybody, a lesson for everybody. People die with pain today, some people don't die with pain. The Prophet ﷺ had a very, very, very severe pain. And he remained ill, if we do a total of this from around the 29th of Safar, it gives us approximately 13 to 14 days of this severe illness. Out of these, out of these, uh, out of these uh, 13, to, uh, 13 to 14 days, he still prayed and led the prayers in the masjid for about 11 of those days. Just the last day or two is when he could not go at all. That's why he didn't go. Now in his last week now, about seven days before, we jumped to seven days before, a week before, he spent, subhanAllah, what, he, what had happened is that the Prophet ﷺ used to have nine wives. 
and he used to go to a different wife every day because that is what you have to do with multiple wives. You have to be fair and you have to be just. So he would spend the night with uh, a different wife every day. Now, when it came to Maymuna radiallahu anha's turn, that's when he called all of his wives and he said, look, I have a request and, you know, I have a request that I would like to spend now the, the remaining days, or I'd like to spend the next so many days with Aisha radiallahu anha. She was his most beloved wife and he probably felt the most comfortable with her and that's why he requested all of the wives that I would like to spend time with her. So they all agreed. They all, allow, they, they all allowed it. They have to give permission for this so they allowed it. And when he was spending time with Aisha radiallahu anha for these last several days, she used to usually, whenever something would happen, she would make a dua, she would make a special prayer and pass her hands over him. This time, he did not let her do that. He did not let her pass his, her hands over him with a dua. Because he knew where he was going, He'd, he, that, that choice had been made. In Sahih al-Bukhari, it's very clear that his last duas were, Allahumma ghfirli wa alhiqni bil rafiq al-a'la Oh Allah, forgive me and join me uh, with, with the highest friend. Allow me to connect with the highest friend and meet, my high, meet the highest friend, the highest companion. Now we talk about five days, five days earlier. It's a Wednesday now. It's a Wednesday because the Prophet passed on a Monday. So it's the, it's the Wednesday prior to that. That's when he had a bath. He had a ghusl. Because when you're, when you're really hot, it's good to uh, take a ghusl uh, with, the, with the cool water. And this time he actually took a ghusl with seven skins of water. Seven skins of water means seven containers of water. They used to keep water in skins, in animal skins, um, like these big, large pouches of water, right? water carriers. So seven skins and he felt slightly relieved. That gave him some relief. So he went to the masjid and gave a special nasiha that day. Aside from the prayers, he gave a special nasiha that day. And then that was for the last time. That was for the last time that he spoke to the community as a whole. He sat on the mimbar. This was the last time that he sat on the mimbar. He gave a number of things this time. He gave a wasiyah, a special counsel and advice uh, regarding the ansar, that uh, their, their rights need to be looked after. Right? Their rights need to be looked after. They've done so much for us and so on. He prohibited worshipping. He said that nobody should worship the graves and so on and take a grave as a place of worship like the Nasara have done. Right? And then he said that a slave has been given a choice. He talked about a slave being given a choice. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu understood straight away and that's when he started crying, when he started weeping. The others weren't willing to even think at that level so they did not take the cue. They did not understand what the Prophet was saying. Now Thursday, which is four days before, it became worse. His sickness became worse, his fever became worse. So then he quickly he said, let me write something for you, let me write some guidance for you. So then after that he said, take the Yahud out of Jaziratul Arab. They should not be on, in, in Arabia. Look after delegations and be very careful about delegations. Whenever you get a delegation to come to Medina Munawwara, you have to treat them very well because they're delegations from their people. 
Then after that he spoke about the importance of the Qur'an, to hold fast to the Qur'an. Until Maghrib of that day, he led all the Salat. He led, he led all the Salat. It was in, in that Maghrib prayer, that last prayer of his, he recited a very long surah, وَالْمُرْسَلَاتِ urfa, Surah Mursalat. And the final verse of that surah is, فَبِأَيِّ حَدِيثٍ بَعْدَهُ يُؤْمِنُونَ On what discourse, on what words are they going to believe in after that? What can they believe in after the Qur'an, after the Prophet ﷺ? What can they believe in? After that, he could not attend the Isha prayer in the masjid. So Abu Bakr anhu started leading the prayers. So in total, Abu Bakr anhu led about 17 salat. That means five full, three full days, three full days and two additional prayers. Now, about two days before the passing, Abu Bakr anhu had already begun dhuhr prayer on that day. Two days before, he'd, he started the dhuhr prayer. Supported by Ali radiallahu anhu and Abbas radiallahu anhu, he felt a bit stronger, the Prophet so he went, came out of his room. The Prophet came out of his room. Now when he comes out of his room, there's a curtain on his, on his door and he can see the Imam. The Imam, if he glances sideways or from the corner of his eyes, you could probably notice it because it's not that far off and you can see this in the Rawda when you visit. So, the way it happened was that Abu Bakr was already standing there, but the Prophet went and sat down. Abu Bakr followed the Prophet and the congregation, they followed Abu Bakr because he was standing up, so they could see him. So they were using his cues and they thought he was following him, not sure if they knew if the Prophet had come in because not everybody could probably see him. So that was another prayer that he did with everybody. Thereafter that, one day left, and that is the Sunday. He freed all of his slaves, approximately 40 or so slaves that he had, he had them all freed. He didn't want to go with anything of this world, no possession of this world. He had seven dinars, seven gold pieces in his house. He got them distributed among, for sadaqah, among the poor. Thereafter that, he gave his, even his weapons away now. That really is a sign. He gave his weapons away as well now. He only had a coat of armor left that was pawned by a Jewish uh, lender. Right uh, for some uh, some some saw measures of barley that he had needed from him, so he put his uh, he gave him his armor as security. That was the only thing that was left. Now we move on to the last day, and it's the morning of the Monday. It's the morning of the Monday. The Fajr time, he got up and he pushed aside the curtain. He got to the door and he pushed aside the curtain, and he could see this amazing spectacle. This amazing scene was in front of him, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu calmly leading the Fajr prayer. And all of the Muslimin in calm, uh, calm following. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw this amazing congregation and he smiled. He smiled. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu noticed him so he was about to move back. That okay, you can come and carry on the prayer. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam jested to him not to do that, to stay in his place, and he didn't go, he couldn't go into the masjid. This was the spectacle of his lifelong teaching that he was now observing of this beautiful scene, the culmination of his, of his journey. 
he was seeing and that made him smile. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also give us a wonderful spectacle of being productive in this world that we can observe this before we die and thus make our death even easier and more happy that we can also leave a legacy like we can also leave some kind of legacy and this is in following the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam then after that it was sunrise fajr time finished and it was sunrise he called for fatima radiyallahu anha his daughter and he whispered something into one ear and she cried first when he first whatever he said to her it made her weep then after that he whispered something else and this time she smiled and she was happy again later it was it was found out that she was telling him or he was telling her rather that i'm going to go and then after that he told her that you're going to be one of the first of my household to come and she smiled then this was something aisha radiyallahu anha coaxed out of her afterwards much later thereafter that kept saying wa karba aba Oh, the pain. Oh, the pain of my father. Oh, my father's pain. Oh, my father's pain. How much pain is he going through? It's that kind of an explanation. The, sorry, that kind of an exclamation. Wa karba aba. And the Prophet ﷺ just said to her, La karba ala abika ba'da hadhal yawm. There's going to be no pain on your father after this day. It's just all going to be bliss. There's going to be no pain on your father after this day. This is how he was comforting her. This is the way we should comfort our loved ones as well if they feel like this and we should com- comfort others that there's no pain for our for our prophets and for our believers and for our shuhada and for our martyrs there's no pain afterwards it's the fastest way to paradise it's the way to, it, it, it's for a for a true believer who's striving in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is it's a gift death is a gift we don't live to die although we do eventually die but when when death comes then we see that as a means to finally the next world so it's not that much of a despondency at all as long as we can focus on that as what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is saying look after this don't worry about it then he called hasan and husain radiyallahu anhu his grandchildren and he kissed them then after that he called his wives he called for all of his wives and he gave them some advice and he counseled them see He's dying in such a way that he's got everything organized. He's allowed to t- talk to everybody. It's not a sudden death. There's a hadith which which the Prophet ﷺ sought refuge from sudden death. Sought refuge from sudden death because then you can't say your final things. You can't do your final thing. You can't tie up any loose ends. You can't pay off any debt. You can't give orders and instructions for what to do, and then you die. And sometimes you leave a you leave a raging fire behind. May Allah protect her. Then after that he called Ali radiyallahu anhu and he counseled him. And he had his head in his lap. Ali radiyallahu had his head in his lap. Thereafter that one of the final words of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to the ummah were these. As-salat as-salat wa ma malakat aymanukum. As-salat as-salat wa ma malakat aymanukum. Prayer prayer. Observe your prayer. Be regular in your prayer. Be regular in your prayer. and that which your right hand possesses allahu akbar so salat we know the importance of that but that is his last advice literally his last advice because it will be the first thing to be accounted for on the day of judgment it is the defining thing of a believer if the whole muslim world started praying our calamities our calamities would probably would would lessen would decrease prayers so that we have them sorted out and completed before we die and the second thing he spoke about was wama malakat aymanukum 
that which your right hand possesses, meaning your slaves and your servants, look after them. Be careful about them. Even on his deathbed, the Prophet ﷺ is worried about the way people are going to look after and he's counseling them to be observant and considerate with, their, with, their, uh, with those who are under them. With those who are under them. This was his last wasiyah. And he said this a few times. Now we move into the last moments. It's the Monday morning. Last moments, it's mid-morning. Aisha radiallahu anha is the fortunate one. Allah bless her. Allah reward her. Allah be satisfied with her. Our mother Aisha radiallahu anha. <clears throat> the Prophet she was cradling the head of the Prophet on her chest, with her hands on her chest. And the Prophet had a bowl of water. So some of the, there was a cloth that he was taking uh, the water with and, and passing over his forehead. His face was changing color yellow and red. And he was kept saying, La ilaha illallah. There is no God except Allah. Inna lil mawti sakarat. Death has pangs. There are pangs in death. There is difficulty in death. That was an exclamation. Subhanallah. If you have pain, you can say something like that. You don't have to just be silent and bear it all. You can make an expression. Oh, this is, there are pangs of death. Maybe you're said as a guidance for everybody else that yes, this is what happens. Thereafter that, the brother of Aisha radiallahu anha, Abdul Rahman ibn Abi Bakr, the son of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu comes in. And he had a miswak in his wife. Because it's his sister's room, he's able to come in. He took that opportunity, came in with a siwak, the tooth stick. And the Prophet looked lovingly and longingly at it. So they understood so then Aisha radiallahu anha says, I took it, it was a bit hard, so I took it and I chewed it to soften it. And then I gave it to the Prophet sallallahu to use. And then she so proudly says, in such an accomplished way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had the last moments in my lap and allowed my saliva to meet with his saliva before he died. Because her saliva was on the miswak, on the siwak. And the Prophet sallallahu used it. He raised his hands afterwards and he said, Allahumma rafiq al-a'la, hadith of Bukhari, Allahumma rafiq al-a'la, Oh Allah, the highest friend, Oh Allah, the highest companion, Oh Allah, the highest companion. And subhanallah, this was it, this was the choice that he made. I want to be with the highest companion, I don't want to be in this world. It was a conscious decision. This was during duha time, which is just mid-morning, the 12th of Rabiul Awal. And Fatima radiallahu anha then exclaimed, Ya abata, ajaba rabbah. She, she was conscious. She was collected. She knew what she was saying with all that pain. Ya abata, ajaba rabbah. Ya abata, ila jannatil fir, jannat fir, jannat firdawsi ma'wa. Ya abata, ila jibreel nan'a. Oh my father, oh my father, he has responded to his Lord's call. Oh my father, to Jannatul Firdaus is his abode. O oh my father, we announce his death to Jibreel alayhi salam. Aisha radiallahu anha made some duas. When the news went out, the Sahaba were in a state of loss. They knew what he was going through, that he missed so many prayers, he couldn't come to the masjid rather, that he wasn't able to lead them and he was in his room. They knew all of that, but they were not willing and they had not even imagined that he's going to die. It wasn't something on their, 
on their horizon. It wasn't something they were thinking about, and so they, so there were no preparation for that. Omar Radhiyallahu could not believe it. When he came in and everybody had gathered, many people had gathered in the masjid. He says, "Anybody who says the Prophet has died, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of them." I guess there could be a political reason for that as well, because the Prophet was passing away. What's so important is to have another leader, so people could prematurely start to campaign for another leader. I don't think that was going to happen, but he that could be that statement. It could just be a statement of absolute disbelief, refusing to believe that the Prophet was passed away. So there could be multiple reasons why he said what he said. However, there's one person who is the softest of them all. Who is the softest of them all and a, a, a week or so before, you know, a week or two before when the Prophet said, let him lead the prayers. His own daughter had said that he's very soft-hearted. Maybe get Umar, but the Prophet insists, no, Abu Bakr anhu is going to lead the prayer. Abu Bakr anhu was collected. He had actually gone, he had spent the night at his wife's house which was further out of town at a distance so when he came back after Fajr he found out that the Prophet ﷺ had passed away and he came first to the Prophet ﷺ's room and he saw the Prophet ﷺ had passed away lying there so what he did was he went and kissed him on the forehead and he says how wonderful you are how wonderful you are in your in your living state and how wonderful you are in your deceased state thereafter that he said Allah will not give you two deaths You'll only have, you, only have, you only had to suffer this once only one death was written for you then after that he came into the masjid and everybody had gathered and the first thing he said he made a declaration he made an announcement he said now look, listen to this now. he said فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ يَعْبُدُ مُحَمَّدًا فَإِنَّ مُحَمَّدًا قَدْ whoever among you used to worship Muhammad as a person you know as a god then know that Muhammad has passed away. Muhammad has gone. And whoever among you worships Allah, Allah is ever living, he has not died. And he will not die. And then, then he read the verse that I read at the beginning. Muhammad is but a messenger. Many messengers passed before him. Many messengers have come and gone before him. So if he was if he is to die or be killed, are you gonna turn on your heels now? Whoever does turn away on their heels, then they can't harm Allah in any way. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give a reward to the grateful ones. When he read that, although this verse had been revealed before, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah reports that many sahaba felt that this was the first time they were hearing this verse. As though it just been revealed. Why? Because they never put it into perspective never contemplating the day that the Prophet will pass away. That was not something they wanted to even imagine and think about. But now it was a reality and that it made sense. SubhanAllah. Umar radiallahu just, just calmed down when he had seen Abu Bakr anyway. Thereafter that the, 
burial preparations were made, people were in different types of reaction. Finally, they came, they, they, they understood what was going on, they came to terms with it. Of course, you have to take care of our disease, that's uh, an obligation that we have. So he was clothed in three garments, as, as men are usually clothed in three garments, a shroud. Then after that, he was prepared for the burial. And there's a long story about the preparation and what kind of grave it was going to be and where he was going to be buried. And finally, Abu Bakr said, I know the Prophet said that prophets are buried in the same place they die, which meant that he had to be buried in the house of Aisha, in her room, literally, in her room. Her room was as big as four people could, could lie down in there. That's it. Prophet ﷺ and then Abu Bakr and Umar also got places in there later and there's one small space left for where one person, they say Isa Islam is going to be buried there. That was the size of her room. But she continued to live there even after the Prophet ﷺ had been buried and she continued to live there after her father was buried. And then after that, um, no, she can, yes. And then after that it was Umar radiallahu an. And then after that, she had to actually put a veil on. She said that while he's dead, he is not my mahram. Before that, she didn't have a veil with the graves before. She was very special. She was very special. So now, when is the Prophet ﷺ buried? So they had a discussion about, is he going to have a recessed grave to the side of the Qibla? Or is he going to have a trench grave, the two different types of graves? And then that was decided. And then based on the person who dug different types of graves, so the one who dug a certain type of grave, that was the one they finally chose. So a number of things were agreed upon. And then after that, the Prophet ﷺ, after he's been prepared for burial, first the household came to pray, the men of the household, whoever is close household, they came to pray. Then after that, the women came to pray. right? And then after that, the Muhajireen came to pray. Thereafter that, the Ansar came to pray. Then the children were given their ch- chance after that. Who led the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ? This is where a lot of people don't know. Nobody led the Prophet's <coughs> prayer. They all came in and prayed 10 by 10. Only 10 people could fit into that place. So they came, they came and prayed 10 by 10, all of these groups of people. That is why the Prophet's funeral was delayed. The Prophet ﷺ was only buried after two days. That was not, not because of some argument or something as some people might try to make it out to be. It was just because it took that long for the entire population, anybody else who had come to come and pray 10 by 10, right? They would pray, then they would go out, another group would come in and pray. 32 hours approximately is what it took. And the Prophet ﷺ is one person who was able to say and could say and actually even see the spectacle that of all of his teachings, of what he wanted to leave behind. He was a person who went at the right time accomplishing what he wanted to accomplish. A lot of people, they don't get to do that. They don't get to do that. But mashallah, there are people after the Prophet as well who do get to do that to a certain degree. They get to accomplish a lot that makes an investment for them, leaves a legacy for them uh, for the hereafter. His missions were complete. His mission was complete. So, that is the account of the Prophet's life. Uh, the household, Ali radiallahu anhu and so on, they were obviously, this was their responsibility, so they were very busy in all of this. And while they're busy taking care of all of this, uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu Umar radiallahu anhu, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah radiallahu anhu, others of the Ansar and Muhajireen, they are, uh, they are taking care of the affairs of the people. 
and finally Abu Bakr anhu is chosen as as the Khalif to continue to lead the Prophet sallallahu uh, lead the Prophet ummah. While the Prophet never uh, clearly stated that he would be the Khalif, so many things he did before he passed away that showed his recommendation for sure, leading the prayer, insisting he lead the prayers for so many prayers. When a woman had come and asked the Prophet something, and uh, she said, if I come back next time and you're not there, he said, go to Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. There's multiple stories like that. That's the event of the Prophet uh, final days. He goes through a lot of difficulties. He goes through many days of fever. And subhanAllah, you know, um, he passes, but it's a rahmah in the sense that we can focus on that and just imagine how tough it must have been for the Sahaba and for the people and for the Muslimin that the revelation that had been coming down all of this time for so many years had now stopped. Now we'd have to do our own ijtihad through our scholars. And what a loss that was to the Ummah. Maybe this helps us to, maybe this helps us and ease the burden of our losses of today in the Muslim Ummah today. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieve the Ummah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to go back and do the right thing uh, for, for our faith and to be prepared like the Prophet was prepared to go. To actually, there are people subhanAllah who are prepared to go. They, they literally say a few days before that I'm, I'm ready to go and I'm going to go. And there's been many occasions like that. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of them who don't get a sudden death, who get a death in a way that we're still independent and only dependent on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to prepare and leave a legacy. Uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules. And at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind. You can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.